Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. How are you, Andy? I'm good reporting from my parents' basement where there is obviously fast Wi-Fi, because whose parents don't have fast Wi-Fi? Yeah, also, it's just acoustically good, as all the parents' basements are. I think you're doing a podcast from it, which is where most podcasts should be. That's that's really true, yeah. It's a little on the nose. I am... I'm overheated. Let's get our guest on, because I, I want to... Yes. I'm annoyed about a thing, and that's also one of the reasons why we were a little late starting, that and my laptop being three years too old to really be viable as a machine for this kind of business but um our guest is writer actor sketch performer everything jen burton hey jen hello thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here i'm so glad to have you on so here's the deal um i thought I would have time to run off and get a quick COVID test because I haven't had one in a while and I thought it was a smart, sensible one to do. And there's a pop-up van outside Intelligentsia Coffee Shop in Silver Lake, which is walking distance from me. And I went by there yesterday when I was on my walk and they were just closing up. They said they close at three. But there's the QR code and, and the person who was just packing up went, hey, scan the QR code now and you can fill in your details so that you're ready to go tomorrow. We're here, tomorrow's our last day. So I did that and I was all ready to go and I got my appointment and I walked down to where the van is and I, Holly had done that uh, last week as well and she said there was no queue, no, no wait. So I figured oh, we're all good. So I get down there and there is a bagel van called the Yeasty Boys. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> replacing the COVID Re- replacing van? Replacing the COVID test. And, you know, I don't want to <laughs> in any way do them down. I'm sure their bagels are lovely and they're providing a very valuable service to their community. Yeah. But in no way do they let me know whether or not I am in danger of being a statistic in a global pandemic. <laughs> and it's... No, they can tell you if you're hungry, though. <laughs> so for a yeah, exactly. bagel. Exactly. And I was, I was, because I had to not eat before my test. So I, I still haven't eaten food today. And, and so I figured, okay, well, maybe, because the Easty Boys, that is their patch. They're like, they've set up there before. Uh. And so I figured, okay, they got there first in the morning. And so the testing vans moved a little bit further down the street. <laughs> so then I started walking up and down the street. And by this point, it's getting closer to podcast time. And it's totally, it's one of the reasons I'm a bad poker player. This is pure sunk cost fallacy going on by this point <laughs> because i i should just cut my losses and just go like okay i might as uh, i i'm not gonna find this thing just go back and set up for the podcast because i also knew like okay it's 10 minutes walk back to the house but then also i'm getting in from outside and that used to be a seven second process and now it's like a three four minute process yeah uh, um, you gotta decovid yeah exactly takes a long time and you know, I've I've been in the presence of hungry yeast fans <laughs> while I'm looking for this truck. While I'm marching Stumbling up and- through yeast clouds. Down <laughs> exactly. The you got to get that out of you. I would so love the- spores all over me as well. Uh, I would love if the truck was there. It was just hidden for some reason. You turned around the side of Yeasty Boys and you saw this other '80s pop band named Testing Truck called My Corona, <laughs> and they just blasted the neck all day long. That would be. I want to see the showdown between the COVID truck and the bagel truck. Yeah, 
Like, yeah. what? how did that go down? Did they show up and they're like, this is our spot? Well, I think that is what then, happens because they do park there on the weekend. I've seen them before. So I reckon they got there first and then they're just like, fuck you, this is our turf. But then you'd expect that the COVID truck would have just moved a little bit further down the same street. But I, hmm. I gave it a good go. Well, you tried. I'm sorry you're still hungry, though. That's that's okay. Yeah, I should have gotten a bagel. Insult to injury, yeah. I know, I should have got a bagel, but by that point I'm like, no, fuck you. Fuck you, I'm not having your bagels. Stealing a patch from (laughs) an important public service. From medical professionals? Yeah. What if if an everything bagel, what if one of the things that makes it everything is uh, a corona cure? Just think of that. It comes with a corona cure. Yeah, it is not, also, not a not a test, a cure. Yeah. But it also comes it. with corona, so it's a bit of a. <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. That is. You got to get very... corona to get cured of corona. To be totally fair. Yeah, that is true. That is an upsetting truth. Yeah, you got to fight about fire corona. Mm-hmm. Oh, Homeopathic. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't had see, seen a ri- an even bigger rise in homeopathy. Right now, in uh, in the face oh, of the pandemic. God, I, but, well, I'm sure it is, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of strange medical things going. I mean, I've read so many weird things about the coronavirus that I don't know if they're true or not. They seem all apocryphal. One is that type A blood is more susceptible to getting like a a, a worse version of the disease. One is if you have Neanderthal, or is it Neanderthal? I don't know what the pronunciation well, blood. Yeah. If you have that DNA, you might get it worse. Like the thing, and if vitamin D cures it, and I don't know if you've read all this. I, I have, but. yeah, I've read that one, or it doesn't cure it so much as just makes you a bit less susceptible both to catching it and catching a severe version yes. of it. So that is a reason. So I think, you know, that's probably, I spent a good. 25 30 minutes of what should have actually been 15 minutes in direct la sunlight walking up and down sunset boulevard Mm. um trying to find trying to find a covid van (laughs) so so there we go that's some yeah yeah. yeah, so i got i got some d in me on sunset boulevard (laughs) don't say that don't spread that around (laughs) don't you just think about that before you say it it's i got got a good dose of d (laughs) i got some d in me is what you actually said i couldn't find my van but i still got some d (laughs) i still got some d in me at any rate by the way, I just Googled the blood type thing because I was about to just say, oh, yes, that is true. And I was like, well, I guess I could look this up and see if it is. But I'm going to trust the Harvard Medical School's website, uh, which uh, cited a, set, a study that found no relationship between blood type and severity of COVID-19. That was as of last That's- month. That seems right to me. It seems like they are making correlations where like, there aren't necessarily any because the pool of people there... Uh-huh. studying is still so small because it hasn't been very long so they, that's, there that's was a also a crazy one pool. there was a crazy one that was like if you're a fast walker you you won't get a severe version of the disease it's, is I wouldn't that be just so- because being a fast walker correlates with being in good physical shape right, right yes or that you're just passing people so quickly that the viral load doesn't right. have enough time yeah. to like gather in your lungs it's i mean who knows? It's very odd. But that, that you know, there's look lots of the- theories. We don't like being in the unknown, for sure. Andy, look up what the uh, Harvard Square School of Naturopaths says about... <laughs> <laughs> 
Harvard adjacent school of bullshittery. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, Harvard get... is spelled with like an e or something. Yeah. <laughs> Harvard. 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 You went to Harvard. You went to Harvard. Hey, we went to Harvard. If you have the right accent, you could yeah. get away with a lot. Well, Let's is, start is a Harvard, meme. Of, yeah. Is Harvard trademark because it's also the name of a city? It's the same way there are loads of Oxford and Cambridge schools of language. If you go in central London, back when people used to hang around in central London and interact with other humans, but there's there's always people flying for like the Oxford Language School or the Cambridge right. School of English. And it's just like, well, it's a city. There's no, they don't have a trademark on, it is a, a language school that is vaguely affiliated with the city of Cambridge. Yeah. Right. Just wonder, like within the city limits. If you if you start a school that's bad enough, could you call it Harvard and then um, claim parody law covers your naming at Harvard? <laughs> like you put it in air quotes almost. Like, oh yeah, this is Harvard. <laughs> It's a parody we of a school. We're trying to make fun of the actual yeah. Harvard. We are protected. It. Um, I didn't see. I didn't see that many. I don't. I'm sure there were various homeopaths and the like going at it. I didn't. There were. There were a lot of sort of. There was a fair amount of natural supplement bullshit. Like the supplement industry got involved quite heavily. I know mm -hmm. there was a lot of. This will boost your immune system, which is not necessarily something you want at all. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. That like, is a very good point. Like whenever anyone says like, oh, this will boost your immune system, that's oh, okay, so you're maybe gonna give me Crohn's disease or <laughs> or just eczema. And, <laughs> just or, or lupus. <laughs> it's just like there's like the your your immune system is meant to be at a fairly even level and Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I wonder if part of the reason we're not seeing as much quackery, this is so dour, but like, it seems like if COVID is going to take you, it does so relatively quickly. It's not like some protracted battle that might send you to, you know, the far off reaches of the globe to try to try some animal's urine or something. You know what I mean? Like if you had like a six month uh, wasting away or something, yeah, that might that might lend itself to more magical thinking, whereas the, the quicker COVID... Uh, it's called a time scale. Um, sort of precludes that. Does yeah. that seem logical? It sounds right. I mean, <laughs> my first flight when I get sick is always to go get some urine <laughs> from another country. <laughs> That's just what I do. Uh, that it's could be so true. so far, right? That's... It just seems, yeah. I mean, hey, you know, here I've been are. drinking it for years and here I am. <laughs> um, that I think, uh, yeah, I I think that's true. And I also think that the asymptomatic side of things is where it gets like sketchy for people. And it's it's like this area where people can go where there's room for people to go, oh, it's not that bad or it's not real or it's, you know, all the but I feel like all the magical thinking is on that side. It's like really far into this doesn't exist versus right. like, well, this will help it or this will help it. It's like there's two camps. One is like, People are like, no, this is real, and I've been in my apartment for five months. That's my end of the spectrum. Yep. And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is like, this doesn't exist. Denial. I'm just going to walk around and, you know, not wear a mask and, like, get into fights with people. Right. It's like the it. entire country is now Missouri. We, we are all the show-me state. Like, if I can't see someone wasting away in front of me, I'm not going to believe that someone says yeah. a mystery thing flying through the air. Which is baffling, because why would anybody, like, what is the benefit of, like, making it up? 
It's just it, like it's crazy to me. The conspiracy theories are so crazy to me. I'm like, who would spend the time going, yes, this is the answer. We're going to invent this. Also, who – I mean, I'm sure it's been said a lot of times, but Andrew Michon said this. I was talking to him about it. It's like people are saying that you know some cabal of billionaires. Like, well, billionaires still want to go out to restaurants. Like who, who's benefiting from this awful world we're in now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Everything is done for them by other people. They actually benefit from having people available to do those jobs. Right. Yeah. So – Weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very odd. I forgot well, if I... Matt, did then I talk if you're about a billionaire, you can have like your own hairstylist who's on retainer who just lives in your grounds. That is, that <laughs> yes. is true. That's that all is you true. need. That is true. Yeah. You just need I, one good hairstylist. I actually met a person outside somewhat socially distanced during that two-week period in June when people started to reopen things. Um, I met a QAnon believer. I forgot if I've talked oh. about this in the podcast or not, but um, no, I don't think you have. Boy, maybe I didn't sorry. want to admit that I was close to the other person, but like, <laughs> whatever. Yes, I was six feet away outside from somebody at a, a pool at a hotel I went to for a weekend. Um, and this stranger just asked me if I was an actor, uh, and she said, "Because you look like you could be a pedophile." I'm like, "Oh, thanks for like the weird neg." <laughs> what? She was, unless she was saying like I, I could play like a creep because I look kind of creepy, but like an actor. I'm like, oh, "Whatever, I'm not going to take your dumb neg." But she was saying like, "Oh no, because all <laughs> actors are pedophiles because uh, they're all part of QAnon." And then she went deeper, and I didn't ever like make fun of her. I was just asking questions because it's the first time I met somebody who believed this stuff, and she genuinely believes it's not just about like. Hillary Clinton wanting to molest kids. It's also literally either eating children or drinking their blood. Like it's so far, it's so ridiculous that you, I, you just can't. I just asked her where this all came from, and of course, it's all YouTube videos. So great, yeah. good, good job. But also, if, if she knew that how low the barrier of entry was to calling yourself an actor, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's how you know if you've made it. Is right. if somebody offers you a fresh baby to eat, and <laughs> then you're and then you're in. I, yeah, I I I don't understand how someone can live with that information in their head and think it's true and just like function in life. If you really thought that was happening, could you casually yeah. sit next to a pool and call somebody oh, sh- a pedophile? And she was a, and she was a nurse and she was a nurse. I forgot to say. Boy, <laughs> that's life, yeah. madness. So she has the inside scoop on how you can get all of the goodness out of a child. Yeah. Out of a baby. But she does she thinks <laughs> all that the co- good cuts. COVID was created by these people. I forgot how it benefits them exactly, but yeah. She probably has too. Uh yeah. that's yeah, that's madness. That is yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be, a, but that, that's going to be a good new test now. If someone's like, "Oh, I'm an actor," like, really? So, uh, what have you been in? And uh, how many, how many babies? How many <laughs> yeah. children have you? <laughs> What's how many days has it been baby since you ate your last baby? Yeah, because yeah. unless unless you're given all the good babies, I do not believe you're you're not you're you're a waiter who has a casting website like you know you've got a profile on <laughs> on a few casting sites at the i wonder if eating babies is like the godwin's law of any sort of like conspiracy theory like eventually because that's also what like you know people the protocols of the elders of zion like super anti-semites will say that that's what jews do right so i wonder if any conspiracy theory eventually devolves into they eat babies well, probably indirectly, because every conspiracy theory ends up at, at Jewish people. That's, that's also like true. That, oh, man. It, the, like, that's the terminus of every... It's it's remarkable. It's... And... You know, I, I, I can just tell you from my experience, I've never had any access to any of the babies, although I would say that. 
Well, you're not one of the higher level Jews. <laughs> you would fair. say that if you were part <laughs> yeah. of the conspiracy. So you're but surrounded I'd also say by that babies if I was right trying now. to double bluff. So uh, <laughs> you yep. are a good poker player. Yeah, <laughs> it turns out when I'm it comes to baby eating. Or am I? No, I really am. <laughs> no, I can't really tell am. if you're bluffing. Oh boy, it's so good, so yeah, inscrutable. I... Well, here, here's a, oh, you know what? We we normally ask our guests before we get deep into the stories, but I'm I'm gonna jump into this story and then we'll double back. We normally ask their background in science, but uh, I'll leave that to sit with you for a minute or two, Jen. Right. We like, and that can I'm range from like that. classes you liked or hated at school to things you would blow up in the woods with your friends as a kid. But before that, well, out of those, uh, before that, that our, our buddy Helen Simmons, friend of mine and doctor, sent in by Twitter this story about Africa declared free of wild polio in a milestone. So excellent! Wow! Yeah, I'm gonna put. Did this you in. say wild polio? Yeah, I was wondering about that. If it's like more flavorful than the stuff that's farmed. It- <laughs> It's free range. Yeah. I don't I don't understand yeah what wild polio. Does that mean it's wait, okay. Wild polio. Yeah, I really don't I'm not quite sure what that oh, means. I don't know. This BBC article has it just a, I'll see if it's explained anywhere down. It does wild just mean not in a lab? I Good think question. as as a person who watched a lot of late night um, TV in the 90s, I'm pretty sure it means topless. Oh, oh I'm yeah, sorry, that's, yeah. polio, that's polio gone wild. That's polio gone wild. I'm sorry, different thing. Polio wow. gone wild. Yeah. It's finally been eradicated. Yeah. How okay, will they make those videos? Okay, so here we go. It's Africa's being declared free from wild polio by the independent body, the African Africa Regional Certification Commission. Polio usually affects children under five, sometimes leading to irreversible paralysis. Death can occur when breathing, breathing muscles are affected. And 25 years ago, children in Africa were paralyzed by the virus. The disease is now only found in Afghanistan and Pakistan. There is no cure, but the polio pra- vaccine protects children for life. Nigeria is the last African country to be declared free from wild polio, having accounted for more than half of all global cases less than a decade ago. The vaccine campaign, vaccination campaign in Nigeria involved a huge effort to reach remote and dangerous places under threat from militant violence, and some health workers were killed in the process. Damn. Damn. Mm. Wow. But, so polio, here's, here is what it explains about what, the difference between wild virus. So polio is a virus which, which spreads from person to person, usually through contaminated water. It can lead to paralysis by attacking the nervous system. Two out of three strains of wild polio virus have been eradicated worldwide. On Tuesday, Africa has been declared free from the last remaining strain of wild polio virus. More than 95% of Africa's population has now been immunized. This is one of the conditions that the ARCC set before declaring the continent free from wild polio. Now, only the vaccine-derived polio virus remains in Africa, with 177 cases being identified this year. This is a rare form of the virus that mutates from the oral polio vaccine and can then mm. spread to under-immunized communities. Well, let's not spread this part of the article around too much to uh, yeah. tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's really going to glom onto that part. Yeah. This, yeah, this is one of those horrible bits of just nuance in science that gets taken horribly by people who have no patience or willing yeah. for, desire for nuance. Or so, doesn't understand percentages. Exactly. And, yeah, 177 exactly the 177 yeah. cases out of millions of people 
Yeah. Or billion. Uh, the population in Africa must be over a billion. Or worldwide, uh, certainly in the billions. And Yeah, I think Nigeria alone is close to the US. I think it's in the top 10 most populous countries. I think oh, wow. it's, yeah, it's one of those ones that w- comes up in quizzes and you're, yeah. like, it's always worth taking a guess at Nigeria if it's, like, the most of something per, yeah. globally. Nigeria is a surprisingly massive country. So is Indonesia. Hmm. Well, yeah, those are both, uh, yeah, Nigeria is just under 200 million. So that's pretty big for that size. Wow. So... Quite a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly that. It's a small percentage and also is only dangerous if it's being spread to populations that are under-vaccinated. So, Which it sounds like there's not a lot of those exactly left. So the World Health Organization has identified a number of these cases in Nigeria. These are these, uh, vaccine-caused ones. The DRC, the Central African Republic, and Angola. So they eliminated it... Um, Without a cure, a vaccine developed in 1952 by Jonas Salk gave hope that children could be protected from the disease. And then in 1961, Albert... S- is it, I never know whether it's Sabin or Sabin. But I he pioneered either. the oral polio vaccine, let's which has been... Let's go with Sabin. Yeah, let's go with that. That's, uh, that sounds nice. So, th- so Salk was the guy who first created the vaccine, and then Sabin created the oral version, the little tongue drop version. Right. That's been used in most national immunization programs around the world. I remember that's the one I got. We had to line up at school. Oh, wow. You got it. Oh, yeah. We also got the tuberculosis vaccine, and I think apparently Americans don't get that, and I think maybe Brits don't nowadays. Huh. You get the BCG vaccine, and most Brits in my generation and older have a little circular scar on your arm from it. Oh, right. Yeah. uh, Yeah, that makes sense. Because it's sort of injected know. under the skin and it bubbles up. Right. And creates a blister. And then... It's with you forever. Yeah. And then, you know, kids go around trying to punch you on the arm. <laughs> kids are the best, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. We've talked about I like to have a before. target. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting. I don't know what I... I mean, I assume I got all the things. Uh, I assume I got everything. There was a brief period where I had... Um, where I was in my younger years when I was trying to be an actor and um, I decided to do substitute teaching as like a side gig and they make you get everything again. But I don't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It was sense. like, yeah, you had to go. I had to get every vaccine that in the world before even mm-hmm. stepping foot into a classroom. I, I don't mind. I, I same as if you've ever traveled to certain parts of the world where suddenly they make you have a bunch of vaccines that you wouldn't have had otherwise like sort of hepatitis ones and so on yeah but i'm i'm happy to get that i'm happy yeah. to be protected at least yes. mid to long term against a bunch of things that i might encounter even if it's relatively unlikely absolutely i am pro as well and i would you know Certainly, the risk versus the reward in terms of these percentages are like, you know, it's very apparent which the the right way to go is. Yeah. Absolutely true. I hadn't realized how prevalent polio still was. So yeah, in 19... 19- really. Yeah, in other countries in outside of Europe and the US and so on. In 1996, apparently, according to this article, that 1996 polio virus paralyzed more than 7,000 thousand children across the continent. Lord. Every country was affected. That year, Nelson Mandela launched the Kick Polio Out of Africa program, 
mobilizing millions of health workers who went village to village to hand deliver vaccines. And it was backed by a coalition of groups including Rotary International, which has spearheaded the polio vaccination drive from the 1980s. I always wondered what Rotary people did. Rotary yeah. people. Yeah, is that a thing in America? Yeah. Rotary phones used to be a thing. That's well, where no, no. I know the rotary, term rotary. They're like Kiwanis Club or like Shriners oh, yes. or Lions Club. That's or right. Like, yeah. yeah, they were always like, they feel like, feels a bit Masonic, but less secretive and more fundraisery. Yeah. Yeah. Those groups are good. Uh, is, does it have some mechanical history as like a union or something? Because it doesn't have a gear as its symbol. As you drive yeah, into I know town, this. Yeah, the symbol that, looks yeah. like a, is some kind of wheel or... Hmm. Something that looks like it's out of a Meccano set. That's interesting. And they don't wear fezes and ride around in tiny cars, right? No, you're thinking of monkeys. <laughs> That's... You're thinking I of know monkeys what you're thinking the of. There is something the sh- else. Uh, Shriners, I know what you're Shriners, talking the Shriners, about. Shriners, yeah. A Shriner. Shriners do that, yes, yeah. the Shriners wear the little hats. Yes. And, and uh, Rotary... are they required to go in tiny cars? I think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's like a lowering the carbon footprint thing that they want to do. Or... Could be. Rotary is 115 I... years old. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just no. I was going to change the subject to something else that was in that article. So go ahead. No, I'm just Whatever looking at Rotary's say. Wikipedia. It's not interesting. Go ahead. Huh. <laughs> no, I was going to say like I think it's interesting because didn't they say that it was waterborne? I didn't realize that about polio. Yeah. Did, did it say somewhere there that you can get it from water? Drinking water, I, right? I, Like, I really, truly did not understand that that was a way that polio could spread. For some reason, I thought it was from child to child. Like, you know, you'd isolate them and put them in a room so other children wouldn't get it. I didn't realize water was like a conduit. Yeah, I guess it is. I guess that's, that's exactly. So probably similar to cholera. Huh. Ugh. Disease. Disease, I know. It's, it's hard. It's not the best. <laughs> it's not my favorite. Yeah, Although, yeah. what a great thing that they've eradicated it. It only well, took say right now, we 50 are years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is an anti-disease podcast. I'm going to say this right now. That's We don't normally take political positions on things, but that's now... That's if ours. We, if we I lose listeners over position. this... Yeah, we can, so be it. Let's be like Jim Gaffigan now and start to get super aggressive. <laughs> oh man! But just against Twitter? polio, right? <laughs> Fuck Something. you, polio. <laughs> I thought maybe he got hacked because I never thought he would swear even on Twitter. But uh, oh he's, man, he's dropping f bombs about about the world that we're in right now, which is pretty funny. I have to say, I I you know I don't normally take pleasure in that kind of thing, <laughs> but that one really I enjoyed. Yeah. It really, it was as if he had waited until the exact night when it would be the most powerful. And it was like, this is it. This is the night when I'm going to unleash like a, how like, I really feel onto the world. Because it was the movie. last night of the RNC. Yeah. He knew, he knows his bases. He knows who his base is. Yeah. It was, I thought it was kind of powerful, but. It was. Yeah. It was. That was an incredible thing. Um, by the way, polio is usually spread, according to immunize.org, via the fecal-oral route. Oh. Ah, my favorite route. My favorite route. route. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is so unpleasant. Just the image alone. The fecal-oral route. Yep. Yeah, I always prefer the coastal route, personally. Right. <laughs> I prefer any other If you've route. got time. But obviously, if you just... If you're, if you just want to get from A to B in the quickest possible way, then obviously you go fecal oral. 
Of course. Yeah. It's the fastest. If only there were a fecal oral if only there were fecal oral fecal oral scenic would be ideal. (laughs) Those all three things could Oh, it's scenic, all right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if you even need I think that's implied. Uh, that's uh, fecal oral, man. I just, I read a thing that the coronavirus is, I, this is just another, I don't know why, how I find these articles that are like the worst, most terrifying information about the coronavirus, but one of them was that it can travel through toilets from other apartments. Oh, come Like on. the aerosol. And I was like, are you kidding me? I, I have enough to worry about without having to like, I don't know, what are you supposed to do? Drape a yeah. trash bag over your toilet Jen, did every you get- time you use it? Did you get coronavirus just mixed up with pythons? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Do you have a python toilet problem? Yeah, that's how snakes get from one apartment to another, and then they come up and grab you. Is this, is uh, uh, what I'm news are you reading? This. You're reading the. I read World News Daily Serious. <laughs> correct. <laughs> Dot biz. It could be. Maybe they were talking about snakes. I'm not going to argue with you, but I, but it definitely was one of those things where it was like, at the beginning of this, I was like, I will do everything. I cleaned everything very, I, I was very, you know, proactive with my defense of our apartment. And when I got to that one, I was like, you know what? If it comes through the toilet, so what? I'm, yeah. I let it take me at that point. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't have any defense against like that. The fecal oral route into yep. my apartment. I think you're probably <laughs> relatively safe on that front. But... God help us. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so aside from looking up articles like that, what what is your background in science? Good question. Um, I definitely have not been thinking about it since you asked me. No worries. Uh, I... Uh, so I think I my I have always actually really liked science, sort of privately. Um, uh, my dad was a doctor, so I've always had an interest in sort of um, human science, specifically biology and also evolution, um, just sort of of how humans got to be what they are. Um, I would call myself a pop culture sort of science absorber. I you know I definitely read read you know, books about it. Um, took biology in <laughs> high school. Uh, but then, you know, I became, I decided that I needed a lot of attention and I became an actor instead. And then a writer. But no shame I, in that. No shame in that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but I feel like in another lifetime, I am like a marine biologist, although I feel like every child thinks that. Uh, I don't know. But I like, That's definitely I, one of the go-tos. Oh. Yeah, but I love the ocean, and I watch I watch an insane number of nature shows as well. I really like uh, the animal world. There have been so some great. I would say that new... that is my sorry background. Yeah, the new um, Netflix the new Netflix ones have been pretty great. Like um, the one that's that's taking advantage of like leaps in night photography to do wildlife oh, yeah. night on Earth. I think it's called Not yeah. to Be Confused. With I watched the movie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally different experience. Uh, yeah, I I uh, I watch some of that. I I tend to. Um, that one was pretty cool. I now I feel like I've watched so many nature shows now that I when I come across one that has information that I've already like ingested, I'll be like, yeah, yeah, I got that. I'm always impressed when they find some animal that I haven't heard of or. Because they kind of have go-tos that they go to, like a lot of them. Right, yeah. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. Um, 
But yeah, I really love, I I like seeing how nature is always, nature works within us the same way it does in animals. And we, I think we'd really like to think that we're sort of above it all, but we're really just not. And I feel like you can see that in, in uh, so many interesting animals. Well, Matt, I was going to say that, uh, our, Forensic pathologist friend, Dr. Judy Melanick, has left the U.S. for greener pastures and, I guess, to barely tie this into wildlife, uh, a place that has lots of interesting creatures. Um, Judy Melanick has moved to New Zealand, mostly out of spite for how awful the U.S.'s response to... COVID has been. And she's dealing with dead people. But if you, Yeah, if you're a forensic pathologist, surely you don't want to move to New Zealand when no one's dying. That's a really <laughs> yeah. valid point. You should probably send her an email. Yeah, what are you doing? You, yeah. You're moving away from the corpses. <laughs> what, a, what a silly move. So that. Oh, she was the acting chief forensic pathologist for Alameda County and a vocal critic of the federal response to the coronavirus p- pandemic. Um, she'd been reaching her breaking point in, she'd reached her breaking point in June. She left the Oakland morgue for a meeting with a county lab official to find out why it took 48 hours to get coronavirus test results instead of the eight hours she was promised. Uh, the machine had capacity for 96 samples, she said she was told, but before running a test, they had to wait to fill up all the wells of samples from all over the country. And by the time the cycle was completed, all the workers were already home for the day. <laughs> Wow. Uh, can you pay someone overtime to stay late so we can have the results the next morning, she asked, um, sharing her encounter in a blog post she wrote in late June. How about another machine so we don't have to wait till all 96 wells are full? Basically, yeah, she was fed up enough. She decided to move her family to New Zealand, um, a country praised for its near eradication of the virus, although I guess now it's coming back a bit. Um, the abrupt move punctuated months of frustration with her own work environment where she said cor- coroner duties would sneak through a back coroner deputies would sneak through a back entrance to avoid temperature checks and homicide detectives would walk into the morgue without masks. Oh, everybody. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. <sighs> I've seen just in general, particularly footage from the protests, but the police and people who are meant to be keeping order wearing masks so much less than any other group of people. That's so true. Well, they've become politicized, unfortunately. Which is so, bonkers. which is a, it's bonkers to be like, I'm gonna own the libs by killing myself. Like, right. I don't understand that logic at all. But yeah, it definitely seems like there's a dividing line along that. I will say I've seen more people wearing masks in the last month than I had previously, at least in the area that I live in, which is good. I think if people had known how long it would be, I mean, how could anyone have known initially, but like, if people had gotten to work on making them really cool and having, you know, fun designs out of the gate and comfortable, like, cause lots of people like wearing masks for fun. So if we could have just somehow flipped the narrative on it early on, it could have been a much different world. I think. I think you're probably right. Some people wear masks for fun. <laughs> you mean before the virus, there were people wandering around and this is for fun. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you guys watch? I've watched all of the Jeopardy episodes they've dropped on Netflix, and there's a champion who ran who ran the board for like ten days named Josh Hill, who it turns out is a furry. And like five episodes Aww. in, during his interview with Alex, he finally like broaches the subject and basically explains what furries are to Alex in like a safe, <laughs> safe for primetime TV way that doesn't really get into the full extent of it. But like, 
then if you look up, look up, if you just search for, I could put a link in. Um, I think he goes by Bucktown Tiger. You could see him playing piano in his full tiger alter ego uh, also <laughs> as a him. 10 time <laughs> Je- jeopardy champ there was there was an early episode of this podcast in the early days of us doing it back in bluebell days where i i was down on furbies i i said some things that i now regret and i'm not making fun i just think it's funny to see him ex- no, no, to that's what I'm saying. I was like, TV, I, like yeah I, I i regret having said that on this show i think i have subsequently also said this but good for you you do you and well done slipping that onto the most sort of a national stage. National stage. Also just a very specific type of national stage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And every yeah, time they would, true. whenever they'd introduce him, he would also do a quick little like, rawr, Tiger Claws thing <laughs> in the beginning. Before he answered each question <laughs> or <laughs> came up with his response. I also like the idea that he's trying to like change the narrative of furries by having a video of himself playing the piano. They do other things. Yeah. yeah I mean, they I, don't just have weird sex. No, no. They also have an artistic side. There he's is a good a... piano player, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't doubt it. Well, yeah, I like that being the two things that people know about furries now. If just like, if you just have a sample size of one, they're like, yeah, they're really good at trivia and they play the piano. <laughs> And, they're and that's great. all you need to know. They're great at not spreading COVID. They've yeah. already got the mask That's on. true. That's a valid point. You're right. I take it back. People wear masks for fun. <laughs> Full headgear. It's harm reduction. Well, yeah. we, and while we're on the subject of harm reduction, this story sent in last week by Christine Williams. We didn't get a chance to get to it last week. Painting one turbine blade black reduces bird fatalities by 72%. Oh. In wind farms. Yeah. That's great. This is from rechargenews.com, which I'm guessing is fairly alternative energy friendly. I'll put that in the show notes as well so you can see that. That sounds good. Isn't I it? like that they're worrying about the birds. Well, that's one I didn't th- realize that was an issue. It definitely is. And that's one of the things people, critics of wind power, will say of just... Uh, you know, it just you're supposedly meant to be environmentally friendly, but it's just decapitating birds all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't want to ever go to the bottom of one of those fans. I guess. <laughs> it's just God weird. knows what's down there. Well, I don't know if it's hitting them at the bottom, like if they're dropping straight down, or if it's really like sort of baseball batting them across. Like you want to yeah. look. You want to look a, sort of a hundred yards that way. <laughs> There's a circumference of bird death. But uh, that's interesting. Yeah, isn't it? So scientists in Norway have found that painting one of the three blades on a wind turbine black reduces avian deaths by 72%. If this contrast painting were to be implemented at new onshore and offshore wind farms, it could reduce public opposition, speed up permitting processes, and enable wind farms to be built at sites previously thought to be too problematic, they write in a scientific paper. The study by researchers at the Norwegian Institute for Nature Research examined bird death data collected between 2006 and 2016 at Statcraft's 152.4... Is that megawatts? I guess it is. Schmoller wind farm on the bird-rich island... (laughs) Rolls right off the tongue. It does. (laughs) The bird-rich island of the same name off Norway's west coast. Like, if that's the smaller one, imagine how big the larger one is. <laughs> oh, uh, Norway. Uh, that's that's uh, that's so great. I love that. I think that's great. What a good solution. Uh, yeah, I love simple solutions like that. Me so too. Four turbines at the Schmoller project had a single blade 
painted black in August 2013. So avian fatalities were recorded for seven and a half years before the painting and three and a half years afterwards. Hmm. This is a weird little detail. Trained sniffer dogs were used to find bird carcasses and feathers at the bottom of the turbines at the wind farms, with dead birds found by wind farm personnel and passers-by also recorded. The data showed that there was an average 71.9% reduction in the annual fatality rate after painting at the paint... The... Uh... Oh, hang on. Okay, I see. see. There was a weird grammatical... It is grammatically correct, but it was just weirdly phrased, because the... um, After painting... It could do with a comma there. There was a 71.9% reduction (laughs) after painting at the painted turbines relative to the control, i.e. unpainted turbines. All right, so that's a very convoluted way of saying 72% better. That's a pretty big... That is a sizable... Yeah, that is a very significant... I kind of feel bad for those dogs. That's got to be traumatic for seven years. Jen, it's (laughs) all they know. I guess that's true. They like doing that sort of thing. That's the world they've grown up in. Maybe the people that are walking them, they're just like having to be like counting dead bird carcasses for seven years (laughs) straight. That just seems like not the best job. Uh, But that's good. I mean, corpse dog on the lead. (laughs) How do you explain your. No, they like it. They like it, those people and the dogs. That's what they enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I take it back. What do I know? What was that? There was It was going around on Twitter a couple of days ago. Someone posted about a story of having gone on a date with Jared Kushner back back in the day. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, and it was... She said it was during the days when the waiter making guacamole fresh at your table was a novelty. (laughs) (laughs) So... And she said, thank you. And he said, they don't like it when you talk to them. <laughs> He's such a creep. Uh, that's insane. Yeah. So, that's great. The authors of the study, which was published in the Ecology and Evolution Journal, did point out that the number of deaths fluctuated considerably from year to year, stressing the necessity of a long-term study to support their findings. Okay, so this 72% could be a blip. We'll see. Hmm. But... So they Pretty big blip. It is a big blip, though. It seems statistically significant. So the reason why they think it works, the scientists explain that birds are susceptible to flying into rotating turbine blades uh, because relative to humans, birds have a narrower binocular frontal field of view, in other words, using both eyes to focus on one object, and likely to use their monocular, which is using each eye independently, and high-resolution lateral fields of view. So having eyes on opposite sides of their head for detecting predators. Um, Versus looking straight ahead at the turbine that's yeah. coming straight at them. There's a lot of brackets yeah. in this piece for detecting predators, conspecifics, and prey. And it says conspecifics are birds of the same species. Ah. So in other words, for, for detecting predators, prey, and your same the guys. A social opportunity. Yeah. And within to a, come together with your own bird stuff. Exactly. Within an assumed open airspace, birds may therefore not always perceive obstructions ahead, thereby enhancing the risk of collision. To reduce collision susceptibility, provision of passive visual cues may enhance the visibility of the rotor blades, enabling birds to... This is very scientific journal speak. Yeah. So this is what we really want. It's thought that birds see the rotating white blades as a motion sphere. Sorry, motion smear. The blur effect humans see when waving a hand quickly in front of their eyes, and do not perceive this blade blur as a moving object. But painting one blade black 
is believed to create motion smear patterns that the bird perceives as a moving object, so as the frontal vision in birds may be more tuned for the direction of movement. Hmm. As an experimental laboratory study with American kestrels at the University of Maryland in 20, 2003 tested the impact of seven different play patterns, striped staggers and whole black, as well as colored blades, to see which was the most clearly seen by birds. The whole black pattern proved to be the most visible. The Norwegian scientists concluded, we recommend to either replicate this study, preferably with more treated turbines, or to implement the measure at new sites and monitor collision fatalities to verify whether similar results are obtained elsewhere to determine to which extent the effect is generalizable. <laughs> it is of the utmost importance to gain more insights into the expected efficacy of promising migration measures through targeted experiments and learning by doing to successfully mitigate impacts on bird life and to support a sustainable development of wind energy worldwide. That is a, again, this article in rechargenews.com has wholesale copied and pasted bunch of there's a reason we don't go to the journal and that's because the journal has paragraphs like that <laughs> there's a reason why we let, let's say less scientifically rigorous podcast will prefer mm. to take the secondary articles where some skilled scientific journalist has read the j paper themselves and digested it and then put it in slightly easier words <laughs> until like birds don't see yeah. Uh, they see it as a black wobble. All right, yeah, I'm in. Exactly. I know what a black wobble is. I'm familiar with a wobble. Uh, that, that's uh, interesting, though, because I was like trying to figure out why would there be an evolutionary... You know, why wouldn't evolution have been like, okay, we have to have some amount of the visual space being used to look straight ahead to know we're not going to crash into something and die. But then, of course, nothing natural is going to have this, like, jut up off of the ground with nothing else around it like anything else that would be an obstacle would be like either some kind of cliff that you'd also have some peripheral q4 or ground raising up slowly or a tree or something but those i would feel have like you'd you'd have to have more of a timeline because eventually they would like if there were enough wind turbines and enough birds flying into them eventually right, right there would be exactly that but i feel like it's such a recent invention and there aren't enough of them out there that that i don't think they've had the time to evolve into something that could see i think that's exactly it really it. has to be a threat uh and it has to be a long-term enough threat for them to adjust or to or for just for the uh the sporadic DNA strain that like offshoots to become prolific. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. There is there's nothing that they would have experienced in their history to that they would have had as an evolutionary driver as a factor. Yeah, that is in any way close to a massive several meters long turbine spinning fast enough that it's a motion blur. Yeah, and that it can kill them because windmills have been around for a long time, but I suspect by the time and also they're not white and they're not, they just don't move that fast. Yeah, yeah, and they also tend to be against a building as well. They don't tend to just be a sort of yeah. hole in the middle of the an empty field. Yes, or very high or there's like there's probably a lot of variables in there. Yeah. Right? I always think it's really interesting though when animals do they evolve in real time. Um, okay, this may not, I mean, who knows? You can do research and find out if this is true or not. But I did read an article about, so 
with climate change, polar bears, I'm sure you've seen the, you know, polar bears can no longer, they don't have ice flows to hunt from. But which sounds, it was like for a long time, you'd read articles that were like polar bears will just be gone in like five years because this is how they hunt. This is how they get their food. But polar bears have actually adjusted. This is what I read. They have learned a new way to hunt by swimming. So they're actually not going, they've, they've adjusted. They've adjusted to climate change in a way that could people couldn't foresee. Which is fascinating, like to me, to yeah. think that a polar bear could be like, all right, well, there's no more ice around. And and it's not even like, I don't even know if that's an evolutionary thing or they just learned a new behavior in order to feed themselves. But they now swim and hunt. And they'll, f it's like, it's a crazy adjustment that's been made in like the polar bear world. That's very cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's a, and that hasn't been around very long. I mean, it's not quite the same thing because it's not evolving like a, a physical uh, adjustment, but it's, it's still a behavioral, behavioral one that's saving the species versus just dying out because of human interaction, which unfortunately there's just so many species that have gone extinct because of humans. Right. While we're talking about human interaction, there was a follow up email that we got from listener Craig Bull about, the Adam Caton Holland episode a couple of episodes ago where we were talking about magpie swooping season in Australia. And we had a bit of a chat about that. And magpie swooping. Yeah, magpies swoop and attack people, particularly Ooh. in was it around near Melbourne that it was particularly happening? And there was an article about a worry that wearing face masks because of the current situation might make people less recognizable to the magpies and therefore more likely to be swooped, and I don't know. But <gasps> This is, and I'm going to read it directly, and let's just remind you that Craig is Australian. So just let that color, I'm not going to do an accent, but just let that cover <laughs> oh, the... I wish you would. He has written this in the manner of an Australian, because he said, in regards to magpie swooping season, it is indeed a commonly known and accepted thing here in Australia, because why not? It's Australia. Just because half the animals on the ground will kill you, there's no reason why we can't keep people on their toes by throwing in a black and white dive-bobbing maniac. <laughs> to say these bastards are vicious is a gross understatement. Furthermore, Andy's speculation that maybe they may not attack if they assess there's a chance they could be injured clearly indicates he's never met one of these psychotic motherfuckers. <laughs> They are absolutely fearless, and as an example, only a couple of days ago, a police officer on a motorbike was attacked by a magpie. There's been a link there. Another highly protective bird during the nesting season is the plover. Oh, sorry, pronounced plover. He's plover, not pluver. There we go. He's given a pronunciation guide, which nests on the ground. But at least this prick has the common decency of giving you an oral <laughs> warning before he takes a chunk out of your skull. <laughs> so, thanks from for all the that information, Harvard Frank. Science Journal. Yeah, again, Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Harvard. Harvard. Yes. Wow, that's intense. It is. Yeah. It's Both in language and action. Brought to you by the Australia Tra Travel Bureau. Um, <laughs> come visit our country and get dive bombed. Yeah. I know we're about to do a different story, but I was just looking on the science and environment page of the BBC News website. Uh-huh. And the story at the bottom, I think this is like... I mean, I'm, this is a bit hard science. This might be a bit too heavy for our show. But it is um, rough justice. Police dog units celebrate 60 years. <laughs> it's R-U-F-F? -F? And, yeah, R-U-F-F, justice. <laughs> so there we go. That's some proper science there. Although it looks it looks like they've had different dogs over the years. 
Okay. Well, over 60 years, that yeah. seems likely. Yeah, they've switched Since up the their average dogs. dog life is maybe 10 to 12. So I think this article is a bit of a fraud. Ugh, those liars. I know. Damn it. <laughs> so <laughs> looking forward. The reunion of all, all the dogs over the years. And... Um, have, you, have, either of you ever, have either of you ever been to Idlewild, California? Uh, I know exactly what you're about to t- <laughs> talk no, about. I've driven past it. I haven't got either. I, I keep meaning to, but uh, they have a golden retriever named Max as a mayor, which is awesome. Wow. Yep. Their mayor is called Mayor Max, and he wears a tie. And if you go into <laughs> Idlewild and ask anyone about their mayor, they will tell you without missing a beat that he is a very good mayor. Oh. Yeah, he sounds like he's corrupt then, if they're answering that quickly. <laughs> yeah. If there's no questions around it. That there's is, I, Idlewild is not a very large place. It isn't, so you know, he why you have that much away. to deal with on yeah. an administrative basis. No, there's not a lot of paperwork. Not a lot of laws to it's enforce. A lot, of, a lot of ball work. Yeah. Less yeah, paperwork. A, if you do a Google image search for Mayor Max. He's pretty cute. He frequently wears a hat as well. I have to tell you, as somebody who grew up with golden retrievers, they're not—they're not the brightest dogs, but they no, are very no, no. happy. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes that's what you need in a mare. You know, yeah. when, it, when it comes to handling serious situations, I, I've got to say that he, his handling of the coronavirus thing has been—you know—he's left it mostly to his other council members. Yes, his lack of opposable thumbs has kept him from putting a mask on himself, (laughs) but he encourages it in humans, which is, you know, it's a very diplomatic way to go. If if you click on it in the show notes, by the way, I just put a link there to a... Oh, I see it. Oh, he does wear a hat. He looks like a detective. He looks like he sits in a car and he's wearing a fedora and a tie. He does, but he doesn't look like a sort of, you know, fedora dude. He's got too nice a smile. No, he looks like Columbo. But yes. he he is right. he is the dog version of Columbo. I think Columbo's a good yeah. Uh, yeah. Just a kindly grandpa in general. Yeah. Still solving crimes, but in a nice way. Somewhere between you know, Peter Falk in one guise or another. Could <laughs> yes. could be Columbo, could be Princess Bride, but either way right. it's like it's just got that kind of vibe. He does. He seems friendly and good. A grandfatherly golden. And he's the a third. Good boy. He, there have been other Maxes before. If you go to mayormax.com, um, I forgot if he's the third. This is, yeah, where it starts to get a little dodgy because you're like, okay, well, this is yeah. like, how many more Kennedys do we have to have in power? Right. And how many more Mayors Max are there? Yeah. <laughs> that is this the is like a, a Dave situation, like the movie Dave. Oh, yeah. Where they're just like, yeah, it's still Max. He's just still going. <laughs> He's 30 years old. I, I remember liking that movie. Was I wrong? Is it a decent movie? It's great. I watched it. I actually have watched it in quarantine as part of my quarantine movie, long list of movies that I've been watching. Uh, it's great. It's great. Kevin Klein is great. It's Sigourney Weaver is great. It's just a good movie. It's also, it is a little like watching a movie from another planet now. Yeah. Uh, given our own political situation oh. it's it's so pure and innocent you just go man was it ever like that i don't i don't all know all movies kind of are now by the way while you were talking just then while we were talking about how well behaved and good mayor max is i was trying to avoid our cat leaping on top of the as yet unwashed like uh. all the st- holly was coming in with all the stuff that still needs to be cleaned and washed and sanitized because that's how life is now 
and Doug, our cat, was just preparing himself to leap on top of that pile of things. Mm. I'm glad you said himself in COVID. I'm glad you said it was Doug. I was worried you had just stumbled across a news article about like a humping scandal with Mayor Max or something. Oh (laughs) no, I I can tell you right now that our our animal is. Yeah, I I don't think he ever should. Um, hold public office. Hold public office. I, yeah, I, I think that he's just got too many scandals in his past. And also, there's <laughs> there's a good there's several months where he was on the streets of Highland Park and oh. unaccounted for, r- largely. And you know what's going to come out? What are we going to find out yeah. about that period of his life? His last a lot weekend. of crimes. Yeah. 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 Just going on a dog that binge. Is... Oh, man, so there's two good, two interesting stories on New Scientist, and one of them is the one that I originally linked to, and then another one's linked to from the sidebar. But this material that cannot be cut that would make the ultimate bike lock. And this is the one I'm worried we might have covered before on this show, because it's been sitting I, in the I document for a while. I don't think so, yeah. But a new artificial material effectively cannot be cut, holding out the promise of lightweight but cut-proof bike locks, security doors, and protective clothing. Its hmm. inventors embedded ceramic spheres in al- aluminium foam to create a material that couldn't be cut with angle grinders, power drills, or water jet cutters. They dubbed Damn. it Proteus after the shape-shifting Greek god for the way the material metamorphized into different ways to defend against attacks. It's pretty amazing, says Miranda Anderson at the University of Stirling, UK, who worked on the project. Rather than just being a hard surface that resists an external pressure, the material turns the force of the drill or cutting mechanism back on itself as the ceramic spheres create vibrations that disrupt the external force. It actually destroys the cutting blade through the sideways jerky vibrations that it creates, or it widens the water jet spray. It's like this judo of bike locks. Yeah. This material has a second defense mechanism. Attempting to cut it breaks the ceramic spheres into smaller fragments, which are even harder, and act like very tough sandpaper. So the attack mechanism causes the material to become more resistant to the attack, says Anderson. While an angle grinder took 45 seconds to cut through steel armor used to protect against explosive mines, it was rendered inoperative by Proteus. The only comparable Hmm. structure in the natural world is diamond, says Anderson, but Proteus is cheaper and lighter, making it practical for a wide range of applications, from security doors and barriers to shoe soles or elbow pads and forearm guards for workers. She believes it can be mass-produced as there is no shortage of the metals and ceramics it is made from. That's amazing. I just that don't believe it somehow. Like, I want to see like an <laughs> yeah. up close. Want to see an up close picture of, of what? I want to actual... see a video of this. This also feels like the ultimate robot wars slash battle bot cheat. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But what? I mean, I, I, how do they form it though? Because I'm always right. like. They create these things and they're like, it cannot be cut. But we did make forearm guards out of it. So it must be able to be manipulated somehow. Right. I guess you have to have a, I don't know, a welding tool or like a, I don't know. Yeah. There it's is very a, interesting. There is a video of it on this, on the New Scientist website that, okay, so it says it, it was inspired by the hierarchical structures of fish scales. Ooh. And and shells and grapefruit. <laughs> Grapefruits are notoriously <laughs> difficult to yeah. penetrate. You know how if someone breaks into your 
house at night, the first thing you want to do is strap some grapefruit across your vulnerable areas. <laughs> That's right. Some segments over your heart and, and your neck. Yeah. Get into your grapefruit suit before you do battle. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, grapefruit. That seems, wow, okay. I'll yeah. take their word for I'm it. I'm with you. I, material science is a bit of a mystery to me in general, and I don't really understand how this thing works, but... That's pretty fascinating and more convenient than, as they pointed out, diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> Diamond bike locks suddenly, then you need a lock for the lock. Yeah. Yes. Once the lock costs more than the bike. But yeah, how do you, uh, do you have to like create some kind of backdoor, you know, like Apple gets in trouble because their iPhones, like if somebody dies and you don't have their pin, you're not getting in their phone. Like there's no, because they say if they give, if they create a backdoor, then that means it's going to get exploited. There's no way around it. So how do we, if we need to get at that bike, we got to yeah. have a way of getting through it. A way of circumventing this uh, yeah and also just what if you make a tool out of that can you then just get through any saw can you get through any right. oh yeah that's a good point if you make what if you make a, a hacksaw out of that and then try and attack that like have we got like a sort of immovable object irresistible yeah. force thing going right. on it opens up a wormhole and yeah. you just disappear into it. <laughs> it's just and you see a why second don't I Kevin Klein why and just destroy the universe again why do I keep doing that <laughs> They didn't know that that's what was happening. So dumb. So mm. silly. Hey, um, Jen, yes. do you have a moment to stick around to do an extra little bo Patreon bonus story for our sure. Patreon patrons? Thank yes. you. But in the meantime, we should wrap up the main episode. Where can our listeners find out more about you and everything you do? Oh, let's see. My IMDB page, I suppose. Uh, I do not have a website. Um, if you go to IMDB... JenniferAnnBurton.com, not not dot com, but search into IMDb uh, because Jen Burton is a different person, or Jennifer Burton is a different person who who does a lot of pornography, and that's not me. Oh, okay. Okay. No. Also, LostmanRadio.com. You should definitely check is, that out. Which we've, is a sketch group I'm in. We've had. I think you are the third Lost Moon member now that we've had on the show. I like it. You should just go through everybody. They're all delightful. They are. What a treat of a group of people. Yeah. And this is just to explain to our listeners, it's a it's a sketch show, but it's formatted around a sort of old-time radio show with, well, has the, has the location of the radio show shifted around from show to show? It has, because we've gone back in time. Uh, it does shift from time to time. But technically, Jupiter Jack lives on a lost moon of Jupiter. In quotes. Which makes a lot of sense. Of course it does. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a musical, comedic, sketch comedy delight. And hopefully we'll we'll come back soon. There There is talk of doing a uh, virtual show in COVID times. So we'll see if that happens. So cool. check all of that out. And then are you on the Twitter and the Instagram or any of those things? I'm on the Twitter. Um I'm at jensburpen.com because I'm an adult. I don't know why I keep saying dot .com. It's, uh, yeah, it's at jensburpen. <laughs> yep. yep. I'm an adult woman. Fully formed. That's what I went with. Great. Too late now. Yeah. Solid. Burpen. Love it. Burpen's never not funny. Yeah. You can find us at probablyscience.com on Twitter, at probablyscience, individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. 
probablyscience.com is also where you can find our Patreon and PayPal donation links. Thank you very much, everyone who helps support the show that way. And you can email us, probablyscience at gmail.com, with any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you would like us to cover, and so on. Thank you so much for joining us, Jen. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. I've, you've really broken up my quarantine time in a <laughs> really lovely way, and I appreciate it. Glad to help. Thanks. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.